0: Welcome to another fun-filled edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom, Zoom. Style, along with LaQuina McGee and Lamont Scott. I am Cindy Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter, on the Twitter and the Insta at ck eighty. Once again at ck eighty. That's s i d k i d eight zero. That's s i d k i d eight zero.
1: You can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter and at LaQuina underscore McGee on the Instagram.
2: And you can follow me at Lamont Scott on Facebook, Lamont Scott 69 on Instagram,
0: and Lamont Scott 16 on Twitter. You can catch this podcast along with our other programming from War Media on War on Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Wherever you download your podcast, make sure you search for War on Anchor and search for Second City Sports. And we're also on iHeartRadio. Please, please, please download the iHeartRadio app. When you do, search for War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor, which keeps going. You can uh, access our podcast right there. Also, we're on YouTube. You can watch us do our thing live, which you, which you are doing right now. If you watch it via the YouTube, just type in War Media on your search engine box on YouTube. That's W-A-R-R Media. And voila, you can watch us and you can see our beautiful and lovely, intelligent faces. How about that? All right. (laughs) Our Bears will be taking on the Los Angeles Rams in Monday Night Football. If you want a preview of that, just go back and listen to our previous episode. We gave you our key breakdowns right there. And we'll give you our review on the, uh, the Monday Night Contest in our next episode. So check that out. Well, right now we're going to review what happened on Sunday in Week 7 in the National Football League. We had the classic uh, finish to the Pittsburgh-Tennessee game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers dominated on the road against the Oakland Raiders. It was a classic finish between the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals. And we had a couple of teams that were pretty disappointing yesterday. So I'll start with you, Lakina. Uh, what, uh, what were your takeaways from Week 7's action in the National Football League?
1: A lot of chaos. But a good chaos. I mean, if you saw those, the end of those noon games, it was sort of like, you know, one finish after another. Yeah, one team score, touch the go-ahead touchdown. Mm-hmm. They had one team, you know, that their, their field goal, goal who's usually reliable, misses their field goal. That would have tied the game and sent it to overtime. I'm talking about Steven, Steven Haska for the, the Titans. I mean, that, that field goal, unfortunately, would have sent it to overtime. He missed it. And then you saw what happened in the Detroit-Tampa Bay game. I know Todd Gurley is, like, beside himself, Say that he should have taken a knee at like the <laughs> half-yard line, but look, like I said, Falcons defense could have made a stop, just saying. But to the... Uh, to the, uh, Sam, Exactly. San Fran, you know, that great performance. I mean, Kyle Shahan just took it to the Patriots. Um, that great, you know, we were talking about right before, Lamont, before you came on, Sid and I were about the Cardinals and the Seahawks game. That was really good. I know, look, if you're at NF- the NFL and NBC, you're, you're feeling pretty good that you actually switched the games because that actually ended up being a better game and a more thrilling game. So we'll get to it when we talk about our studs and does, but just, some, just so many great performances. Um, you know, Kyler Murray and also the Arizona defense, you know, made some huge stops and interceptions late. They had you know, Carolina, and New Orleans. Actually, ended up being a better game than a lot of people thought it would be. Tom Brady looks like he's doing he's doing okay. I think uh, the Chargers, Justin Herbert, with another great performance, not making a lot of mistakes. So, a lot of you know chaos, breakthroughs, and some really good performances in Week Seven.
2: Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't say total chaos is a good word though. I, I would say more separation chaos. Like, you got to see a lot of teams kind of snap up and let you know what they are and what they're going to be and where they're going and where they're trying to go. It was some wonderful performances, like you said, we'll get to with the studs and duds. But overall, the action was there yesterday. It was there. I mean, like you say with those noon games, you're going TV to TV, to the computer, to the TV, to the computer. Like you (laughs) mentioned, You mentioned that uh, Saint, that uh, Carolina Saints game. It, it's are the are the Saints that bad? I mean, I'm, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to get nervous about my team. As opposed to like the Bears, it's a different type of nervousness because I know what we got, I know what we are. But the Saints are supposed to be a little bit better than what they've been, even though they've been pulling it out. And you mentioned Atlanta and Detroit, and not just that. I had a horrible week in picks. Like, people that were supposed to win, lost, you know, it was a a, a, that a couple of injuries that, that, that you know, I'm quite sure we'll get into before the show over. But overall, chaos, that's a kind of good word, but separation, separation or chaos, that, I think that's a new term we'll start using. So a few teams just shows you who they're going to be and what they're going to be, I think. And a few of those rookies let you know that they're ready for prime time especially that Joe Barrow, I, I, I've been telling people since week one, he real, he the real deal. But Justin Herbert is surprising me. I thought he was all hype for a while, but he's not.
0: Uh, uh, let me review one of the games from Sunday's week seven action. L's the New Orleans and Carolina game. Of course, the Bears will play the New Orleans Saints uh, here in Soldier Field. Next week, we'll give you a preview of that in our next episode. Uh, because I, I watched the entire game via my computer, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I noticed a couple of things. Yes, the Saints were without Michael Thomas, their step wide right receiver, Lamont, but uh, Alpha Camara was their workhorse. And, of course, Drew Brees mm-hmm. is almost like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in his prime. He makes wide re- no-name wide receivers uh, uh, stars because they, uh, they catch the ball. But I noticed on the flip side that the Carolina Panthers, they had no running game last week last week against Chicago. They didn't have a running game on Sunday, but somehow they stayed in the game. Teddy Bridgewater took advantage advantage of a couple of coverage breakdowns from the Saints. D.J. Moore had a great game yesterday with two touchdowns. That Carolina defense stepped up their play, unlike the previous week against Chicago. They had a chance to win their game, and shout-out to their kicker. I forget his name for the moment, but he had a chance to tie the game to tie an NFL record for the longest field goal in their game with a 65-yarder. It came up just short. Carolina had a chance to steal that game. Mm-hmm. Now, as you mentioned, Lamont, should uh, Saints fans be worried? Yes. They're they're not the team as they were uh, a year ago, but uh, their defense is still good, but not as dominant as it was last year. There are some problems in, in New Orleans. Like I said, we'll get into them more on Friday as we preview their game against the Chicago Bears. But the Saints don't look so hot right now. We we complained about the Bears here in Chicago and rightfully so, but if you're a Saints fan, you really have more to complain about. Yes, you do. See, I mean, a lot.
2: And all of my uh, family are Saints fans, at least 85%, 90%. And, I mean, it's like they're just not showing up in certain areas and in certain aspects of the game. They're not showing up. And that, that was a, a big thing, not just yesterday. It's, it's been happening. Like you say, we'll definitely get into it since they'll be playing my Super Bowl coming up. You know, that's my Super Bowl every year. I wish they would have that game every year. It's mm-hmm. like a perfect game for me because I can't lose. So it's like, <laughs> you know, when one make a play, I'm happy. I'm, like, so excited. And the other one make a play, I'm still excited. So I never can lose when those two play each other. And uh, you was mentioned about reviewing a game yesterday. How fun was it to see snow on a football field mm. while game was going on? And to see people out there freezing, even though it was only about ten of them, but to see it, <laughs> to see it happen was a beautiful thing. I mean, like the snow—something about snow and football that just go together, like macaroni and mm-hmm. cheese. Or something. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was good. It was good to see it. And even in that game, uh, I know they're not winning a lot, but Denver got a couple of good pieces. They need a lot of help. And they need a, a couple more years, probably. But shout out the fan. You know, he went down there. He he wasn't looking good at first, but you know, yeah, I think they turned some form of a corner down there. And they actually, it was a quote unquote blowout, but they played real. Tar- they played real hard, and they hit Mahomes a lot. Chubb was. It looked like Chubb was on Mahomes' back every other play, hitting him really hard. So I mean, they they did show up. It's just they was outmanned with talent. But that was, like I said, that was just another one of the good games from yesterday.
1: We'll we'll talk about the Saints, though. But it's not like what happened to their defense. Their defense was actually pretty decent last year. I mean, they got Malcolm Jenkins, they got Cam Jordan, and they got Marcus Davenport. I mean, it's not it's not like it's not like these these are no names. These are a couple of these guys have been the Pro Bowl, So I don't know what's going on there. But like I said, but like you said, we'll we'll get to them you know, when we talk when we commence on Friday. But. That battle of Ohio game, that Cleveland Cincinnati game, how great was that game? You guys got a chance to watch it. I mean, the the finish of it, you know, our buddy Spiro Odides, you, you know, Sydney had a chance to call that game. I'm happy for yeah. him. And I'm much former Bear. You know, they were able to have a great game, and you know, Joe Burrow looked really good. And you know, but Baker Mayfield, even though OBJ is gone for the year, unfortunately, with a torn ACL.
2: Uh, I got to about that like.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it looks yeah, but it looks like you know what? Just put. Get it off. Get a good old line in front of Joe Burrow, and maybe you know, you know, upgrade your defense. I think Cincinnati could be right there next year, competing for the AFC North. Uh, the the Packers. I mean, a nice bounce back for them. You know, Aaron Rodgers threw for four touchdowns. They didn't have Aaron Jones. They really didn't need him, so that that really wasn't an issue. But sort of a definitely a kind of a business like performance by the Packers. So. I mean, I mean, you know, some, some weirdness, and but also, you know, some great breakthroughs, some break, great breakout performances.
2: Yes. Yeah, and like you mentioned that Battle of Ohio, uh, it, it's with, when Odell went out, and I mean, I know he's hurt. I know he's a superstar, but they didn't seem to miss a beat. It's like they all came together, so to speak. And they actually, some people even saying it on, you know, some of the sports broadcasts today that they played better after he left the game. So, you know, I hope that isn't the case going forward as far as with his career now that he's injured. I hope they're not talking about, you know, maybe he's washed up because he's had a few injuries. I know another team going to probably take a chance on him again, but that large money that he was searching for and looking for, I don't think he's going to get that now. I think it's going to be a struggle when he gets back to get back the form of where he wants to be mentally and where he thinks he should be on the you know wide receiver list and at the top of that heat, I think it's gonna be more of a you gotta prove it all over again situation for him. And I just hope that he heals properly and you know comes back as strong as ever. But I think it will be a serious struggle for him going forward.
0: You're listening to Sega City Sports along with Lakinda McGee and Lamont Scott. I am Sidney Brown as we review week seven from the National Football League. And I want to focus in on another late game, guys. And that was the uh, – we call them San the Diego Chargers of, of Los Angeles on this show as they defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 39-29. to 29. You mentioned uh, this name earlier, Lamont, Justin Herbert. Herbert you know, he was 27-43 for 347 yards and three touchdowns. And Keenan Allen had a nice game with 10 receptions for 125 yards. Now, if the Chargers defense, even though they have injuries right now, they've been having injuries all year long, as we talked about on and off on this show. If they can have any type of continuity defensively, maybe they can sneak in as a wild card spot. Because let's be honest, the AFC West, that's Kansas City's to lose. and I don't see them losing that this year or anytime soon. So Justin Herbert, it was uh, it was the Chargers playing to get him in there uh, at some point this season. He's really proven his worth, and he did that on Sunday.
2: Yep, and um, not only that, he's just another example of um, – I was watching something where they talk about how teams go and get the quarterback that they want. You know, seems like every other team kind of reposition themselves to get the quarterback that they want. You look at what, I mean, I'm using Arizona as an example, who had a wonderful win themselves. And what they did with their quarterback situation, yeah, they had one, but they still went out and got another one because they wasn't sure. And they had the guts enough to pull the trigger and trade a couple of times to get the quarterback that they needed for their future. And I think the Bears need to – look at some of those teams and do some (laughs) certain moves like that, because it is some young players coming out now that's ready to play. I mean, Justin, he had questions, but he's been ready to play, and he's playing really well. So, not only him, you know, the same thing goes with Joe Barrow, like you were saying. I think that a lot of these quarterbacks are ready now, and we need to kind of reposition ourselves to try to make a move to get one going forward because it's kind of frustrating week after week seeing all of these young people show up and show out, and we don't have a chance in that position sometimes. But overall, I was rooting for all the young guys. The young guys did their thing yesterday.
1: Yeah, I think Justin Herbert's only throwing, I think, with like one or two interceptions since he got the starting job. He didn't throw any yesterday. So I think the future looks bright for the Chargers. Like you said, Sid, they've had a lot of injuries on defense. They can just get some type of, like – defense together they could be right there for a wild card spot they should be 500 right now so I mean that, that, that I mean there's still going to be like a log jam in the AFC wild card picture we'll, well again well we'll talk about it you know as the weeks go on but I think it's going to come down to those type of little mistakes and those sort of tiebreakers again <laughs> I know it you'll get confusing but you know but again we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it but Buffalo, I know Buffalo fans are, are kind of, like, freaking out because they didn't, like, blow out the blow out the <laughs> Jets. But, you know what, it, it's – you're going to have games like this. I know they've been kind of, you know, up and down lately the last couple of weeks. But, you know, this is – you know, well, consider everything they've been through, not knowing when they were going to play last week and then had to kind of switch everything around. Look, I mean, jo- Josh Allen, he, didn't, he hasn't made mistakes, so it, it's – it's fine. He did have a fumble early on, but they were able to bounce back from that. They got, you know, Tyler Tyler Bass had six field goals, so you know, you ended up. It was enough to win. And sometimes you're gonna have games like this. Just like, like I've always said, you know, throw the tape away, burn it, or what have you, just disintegrate <laughs> it. it. It's not. Look, you're gonna look. Every team is gonna have a game or two like this. It, it's fine. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. another Bills fan not me worry about it either.
2: But even even with that Bills, I mean, even with that Bills game, when you play on a team that you're so familiar with, like the Jets, it's a, it's expected to be just dirty and sloppy. And like some people around here even say, "I'd rather win ugly than lose at all." So they're living with that. But the one that surprised me and upset, well, it didn't upset me, but it surprised me, that Dallas game. What? Where are the Cowboys? <laughs> I mean, like, where <laughs> are the Cowboys? those guys on the field can't be cowboys they like little little chaps so I mean I don't know what you would call them but they're not cowboys and I I mean I'm not sure mr. McCarthy is gonna last two years I don't know if, if they're gonna stick around for him and their coaching staff losing like this they saying that he lost the locker room pretty much and I don't know I mean that was embarrassing they shouldn't be losing like that to Washington, not Dallas. That not with all the talent that they have and have of the team that Washington running out there, uh, pieces that put together. Shout out to I think y'all can help me out with this. I think he was a former bear that hit uh Andy Dalton.
0: Yeah, John uh, Boston.
2: Yep, yep. <laughs> that's what I thought. I, I thought he was a former bear linebacker and um
1: Yep, not- he was.
2: Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember that. Now, that was not a good move or a good look. And, I mean, I know he may get suspended, but things happen when you do things like that. But even with that, without that play, Washington beat up on Dallas. And I, it's a mystery why Dallas is being destroyed. Like, they're being destroyed every week. It's like somebody knew. I almost wish they was in our crosshairs, and maybe that would be the Bears' get-right game or something. But... Yeah, Dallas in trouble down
0: there. I don't know if you guys watched Sports Center uh, earlier this morning. Marcus Spears, a.k.a. Mr. Swaggoo, was on mm-hmm. there, and he was talking about – and he was a, a one-time member of the Cowboys back in the day. And he was talking about that play, as you mentioned, Lamont, when John Bostic hit Andy Dalton. By the way, as of this broadcast, Bostic will not be suspended, according to ESPN's Adam Shafter. But getting back to that hit on Andy Dalton, uh, he, he said this, if it would have happened when he was playing, we all we all know as former players and, and current players, we all know if, if your quarterback is hit unjustly, it's cause it will be a cause for a fight. And he said he didn't see any fight in the Cowboys yesterday. I understand not doing anything stupid, but you got to stand up for your quarterback. And none of that was happening uh, on in Sunday's game, and he was really frustrated by that. Now whether you agree with him or not, that's on you, but. I understood where he was coming from. You got to stick up for your quarterback. Now, looking at that hit, it wasn't a dirty hit, but still, you know, you you had to have some order and say, well, what's going on here? There's no continuity. As we mentioned in our last episode, uh, there's anonymous players going to the media saying that Mike McCarthy has lost his team. Now, Mike McCarthy is saying that uh, uh, the players are not giving good effort. I'm just paraphrasing it here. It seems like a divided locker room to me. It's just on the outside looking in.
1: Yeah, yeah it just I, – I don't I, – I, I you know, I checked out that game for a little bit even after that hit, and it's just – like, there, there's just nothing in there in Dallas right now. The cover's completely bare. They don't have a defense. They gave up 208 yard rushing yards to Washington. Again, we'll talk about it in a little bit with our studs and does. But I, I, I just, like, at this point, I think Jerry Jones just needs to kind of look in the mirror and say that he's probably the reason. He helped, he helped put this team together and uh, – Jason Garrett's probably somewhere saying, "You know what? Uh, yeah, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm actually with a good team, <laughs> a somewhat decent team now. So, like, yeah. there, there's no, there's no fight, there's no you know, camaraderie between that team. You know, stop stop going to the media for your frustrations. Just look look in the mirrors, guys. That's all. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that when they face the Bears in you know next month. But come on now.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Um... That, I think it's a, it got a lot to do with Jerry Jones. Like uh, like you said, that's they're embarrassing right now. They got too much talent to be that way. They got too many skilled, skilled players, not skilled position. They got skilled, skilled position players, and they're doing that. And, you know, you, maybe they're down because their quarterback is out. Can't you use that as an excuse? They're just not showing up, and it, it's it's real ugly down
0: there. Another game I wanted to review real quick before we get to our studs and duds was the late game that most of the nation were watching via your television on CBS. You're sure it was watching it via my computer. Mm-hmm. It was the San Francisco-New England game. I watched the majority of the game. I did catch it. Did that, but I'm glad I did for a good reason. It was because the 49ers uh, dominated the New England Patriots and Foxborough 33-6. Cam Newton didn't have a great game. He threw uh, under 100 yards, threw, threw three picks. It wasn't all his fault yesterday. Uh, two things that came out of it yesterday that I is from New England. One, it's not all Cam's fault. I'm not blowing smoke here. You can take it wherever you want it. The uh, the, the Patriots do not have a running game right now. And their defense, I know they had six players. They opted, opted out before the season because of COVID. But their defense, especially against the run, has been terrible all year long. Their two main problems is a lack of a running game. You cannot depend on Cam to do everything for you. And then on the other side, on the defense, especially their run defense, it was terrible, and it's been like that all year long. I know they're two and four, and I know people expect them to turn it around. But as of right now, I don't know if that's going to happen. Hey,
2: I, I'm, I'm too, I didn't think it was going to be. I mean, I didn't think it was going to be turned around anyway. You looked at going into the season; they was getting kind of bare over there. That's why TV got up out of there, and you look at Newton. I'm just really rooting for him to have a good season, mm-hmm. so he can get back in the league and get back under good graces, and maybe get a second contract somewhere and get his career kind of back on track. Because I think he still got something left in the tank. But yeah, that team is uh, severely lacking in a few areas.
1: It's it's yeah. It's not all Cam's fault. I mean, they they tried to stick to them in there. Halfway through the third quarter, he didn't do too well either. He had an interception too, so he—that's he, not the issue. But you know, they gave up oh, almost 200 rushing yards. I mean, Jeff Wilson—I mean, Jeff Wilson Jr. had like his best, his probably his best game mm-hmm. of his career. Like, there were 312 yards rushing and three, touch, three rushing touchdowns. So. That's a big issue. The defense. Remember, Gil remember Stefan Gilmore still isn't there. He's still recovering from COVID. He might be back next week. So the one defensive one decent defensive player they do have, you know, he's out right now, but they were having issues even before then. So for people who want to go on goal all over Cam and be on his case, maybe you need, you need to look at the Patriots defense, which has been a consistent problem all year for them.
2: You kind of knew they would jump on you, you kinda knew they would jump on Cam because some people look at New England as the Holy Grails, and, and they're not going to be quick to point at Belichick or none of them. They're going to use them as a scapegoat as much as possible until it becomes a glaring, obvious situation that it's not all Cam and that it's some things wrong with the team in general.
0: You're listening to Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee and Lamont Scott. I am Sidney Brown as we review week seven of the National Football League. Lakina, I want to start with you as we're is now time to give our studs and duds Yay. for week seven. Uh,
1: I know we don't give broadcasters studs, but I'm going to give it to our good friend uh, Sid spiro I'm you know I'm yeah. glad that the nation was able to sort of you know those of us most of the nation actually got a chance to finish the tail end of that, of that game but between Cincinnati and Cleveland. You know the way he called mm-hmm. that last Mayfield pass to People's Jones was. You know, amazing. I think he's very unappreciated at CBS, but I think people are starting to see that. Yeah, you know what? This guy's pretty good. So, and that ended up being a great game. So, congrats to him. And you know, he's out, good.
2: That you can give out that award. That's a new category. You can you can throw a new category out there. Now, announcer, the you know, all right, few out there
1: you, got to keep on for the broadcast once in a while. Uh, Justin Herbert, another stud. I mean, he had a rushing touchdown, three touchdown passes. It looks like, you know, the Chargers might have found their quarterback after all. <clears throat> I, look, I was very high on him when he was at Oregon. I know he, you uh, know, the mechanics, you uh, know, Castillo's used a little bit of improvement, but he looks good so far. And like we've been saying, I think the Chargers, if they can get it right on defense, they can be right there, you know, for one of the wild card spots in the AFC. Um, Tom Brady, a nice bounce back for him. You know, I think he was not very happy that people were making fun of him because he didn't know what down it was against the Bears a couple weeks ago. Since then, he's had, I think he's thrown for like nine or 10 touchdowns total in the last two games. You know, not one interception. You know, Tampa looks good. And with the the Saints, you know, kind of falling off a little bit, going down, maybe, you know, going down a notch, the bus could be right there for the NFC South. You know, just saying. Um, let's see Ooh, what's. That? I think I had one more. Oh, the Eagles. I know. Look, I know the Eagles are ter- are terrible, and that's not saying much. But look, they did just enough to come back to win that game against the Giants. I know. Look, the NFC East is just pff, a dumpster fire. But I- I'll give <laughs> I'll-, I'll give the Eagles their props. They're probably going to end up winning the- that division with like eight or nine wins. And you know, that's just. <laughs> I mean. I'll give Eagles their props. I'll, I'll I'll be nice here. It's it's almost the holiday season, so you got to be a little bit nice. It,
0: yeah, it's weird that both those teams are going to face each other next week on Sunday Night Football with first place on the line with <laughs> uh, under five hundred records. That's good grief. <laughs> Lamont, who are your studs from Week Seven?
2: Uh, I'm, uh, one will be Baker Mayfield. Uh, he he he. It looked like if he sit down in that pocket and try to throw the ball, he can get some things accomplished. Uh, You know, I think if they get out of his head and take a little bit of the pressure off of him, he'll continue to have games like that. So he gets one. Justin Herbert definitely was getting one. He was getting another one. Um, Tyler Murray, Arizona Cardinals, the way that he went out there, showed poise, got into a shootout, had bullets and was still having bullets at the end of the game to shoot. So he he definitely get one. And, of course, D.J. Metcalf play. D.K., I'm sorry, Metcalf's play. Did you see how fast that man ran? <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's what you call dedication. That's what you call, uh, that's what you call, I'm not going to let my team lose. That's what you want to see in a football player. Like, if you got kids watching football, like, that should be like a play to show them how to play every play when it comes to a situation where something goes wrong. I mean, that that was a beautiful thing.
0: My first uh, – I'll piggyback off of you, Lamont. You just stole the words that I had in my mind from last night. My and I was, uh, Mine is uh, DK Metcalf. I'll give you guys a, re- uh, a little history last Do you remember, I believe it was Super Bowl 27? It was between the Dallas Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills the first time in Pasadena,
1: California? The first time they faced it, yep.
0: Don Beebe? Yeah, Don Beebe (laughs) tracked down Leon Lett. And trust me, Leon Lett would have been a bigger goal if Dallas would have lost that game because of that play. Uh, Don Beebe, if you guys watched that uh, four files of Buffalo, it was ESPN 34. If you guys haven't seen it, go look it up on YouTube. But uh, Don Beebe said after that game, the late owner, Ralph Wilson, came over to him and said, you showed me something today, even Mm -hmm. though um, Buffalo got blown out in in that game. So that was a great – moniker that you had Lamont. Uh, for you young kids who are watching that game, or saw that on the highlight. If you're a parent, show your kids both those plays because that's a difference mm-hmm. between uh, winning and losing and who really shows character during tough times. In the case of Don B when their team was getting blown up. So DK Metcalf will get my first stud. My second stud would be Washington football team running back, rookie running back Antonio Gibson, uh, of a 25-3 win over the Cowboys. He had twenty carries for 128 yards and a touchdown. And going back to that San Francisco, New England game, Jeff Wilson, as you mentioned, Lakina, seventeen carries for 112 yards and three touchdowns before he went out with with an injury. So those are my three studs from week seven. And now let's get to the duds.
1: Well, just a bonus to stuff for me. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals defense. I mean, they had three interceptions. We, we heard Isaiah Simmons' name, and he's kind of quiet. My guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patrick Peterson had another interception. Buddha Baker, alluded to, you know, got chased down by DK Metcalf. Uh, if you guys haven't had a chance, you know, it's sort of similar to what Larry Allen, Hall of Famer Larry Allen, you know, tackle uh, Dar- Darion, Car- Darion Connor from that Monday Night Football game in 94. So if you guys have a chance, look that up. Ironically, Al Michaels was on the call of both those, and you can see the voice is still the same. So, if you had a chance, check that out. But, uh, my dad for me, uh, Atlanta defense. You, you had it look, look, I know that Todd Gurley, I know he's embarrassed because you know he took that knee like in the half yard line that you know they could have you know, you know, count down the clocks yeah. like near zero and they could have kicked in with a field goal, but. Come on, Atlanta defense! Y'all could have done something. I could have tried to stop Matt Stafford. Come on, a sag a fumble, a force fumble, something. His guy, all his guys, you know, he threw to were pretty much wide open. So what the hell? I mean, come on, Atlanta. <laughs> Jesus. Um, new the New, England, new defense. Look, I know Cam three interceptions. That's uncalled for. I know he's you know he's matured and sort of say, you know what, it's on me. But come on, the defense should be sh- you know I, as I said a couple of m- minutes ago, the defense you know, is showing you why they were not that good, you know, with, like, five or six guys not playing, you know, Gilmore's still out. You know, you may want to look at yourselves there, you know, New England defense. Um, Diva, Steven Gostowski, the, the kicker for the Titans. Kicker kicker, kicker tryouts in to Nashville tomorrow. I'm just saying. I mean, he's, he's not... Yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, look, he's not... Yeah, it's been... Yeah, it has not been... <laughs> Have episode trial for kickers. Just saying. Um, uh, Daniel Jones got air tackled. <laughs> I mean, they ended up scoring, but oh my god! I mean,
2: air tackle.
1: Oh my god! Start. I mean, that that's just like oh, that that's just that's embarrassing. So, but yeah, so those are my duds.
2: <laughs> uh, I will start with the uh Dallas Cowboys, if you want to call them the Cowboys right now. America's team. That's America's team, right? That's those guys.
0: <laughs> Allegedly.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's those guys. Yeah, no, they, they definitely get one. Uh, Atlanta look like they're gonna have a permanent one. They might it might change their name to the Atlanta duds eventually if they continue. And the third, and I don't know if it's possible to give a dud a team to that wins, but uh man, I need the New Orleans Saints to play like the New Orleans Saints. Like I I was thoroughly disappointed. And like Lakina mentioned earlier, with the defense, like they they even though shout out to Drew Brees, congratulations on setting another record, but the Saints just ain't got it right now, and that's sad, and it's and it hurts like a little bit when you know look, you looking at things that you know they do like second nature, and now they're not doing it on offense and defense, so they were good for me, even though they came out on top but yeah that was that was a little hurting but other than that that was yeah that, that, that,
0: that about yeah mm-hmm. my okay my three does for me the first one uh lamona i'll piggyback off of you the dallas cowboys they did not show up yesterday they were going through the motions they were getting beat on both sides of the ball even before the Andy dalton concussion hit uh they were going through the motions so they they it was like they didn't want to be there so i'll give them my first dud. My second, uh, everybody uh, follow me. uh, Repeat this name. Todd Gurley. Even after after, uh, the Atlanta Falcons called timeout, you know they were discussing the possibility of Detroit uh, uh, possibly uh, giving up the touchdown so they can get the ball back. Because remember, I was watching this game live via my computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Detroit did not have a timeout remaining. So when Todd Gurley uh, received the See the handoff. Uh, he had a brain fart, and by the time he tried to kneel down, the ball already tipped on the goal line, so the rest counted it for a touchdown, out Atlanta com- um, converted on a two-point conversion. I know what you say, looking about the Atlanta defense had to stop them. Yeah, that's true, but none of that would have ha- happened if Tariq Gurley didn't do what he was supposed to do. As Bill Belichick or Bill Belichick always says, it's about situational football, and the Atlanta Falcons did not have it. So. I give them my my. I give Ty Gurley my second dud. My third dud is the New England Patriots. As I mentioned before, reviewing that game, their defense is horrible. Uh, we all thought it was horrible last year, going down the stretch. It's even worse this year, and the way they got dominated by San Francisco, it was just embarrassing. I Agree. They should
1: begin. Yeah, they should begin some. Uh some uh uh c- criticism too not just cam i know cam is like the mm-hmm. end all be all like you said the but look that defense has not they've given up a lot of points get up a lot of yards so i i just like don't see why they're not getting the critiques like cam's getting just a thought but you know okay uh yeah,
0: yeah bonus dud for me the houston texans i know they lost by 15 but uh, that game was much uglier than what it was. My goodness,
1: <laughs> they, always,
0: they they trip over their own two feet every time. <laughs> you trying to say the Texans not ready? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess God. they got some of that cowboy attitude. I
1: don't know. <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe it's running through the
1: state. Oh God, Lord. Okay. <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> and those are our studs and does for Week Seven of the NFL. Now, before we you know, take a break, you know, let's talk a little bit about the World Series. As of this recording, the Dodgers are one game away from winning their first World Series since 1989. What do what you guys think so far of the series, and can the Dodgers take it home tomorrow night, I should say? You say
2: 1989.
1: 1989, the number. 88. Well, 88, 88, 88. Tiffran
2: won the next year. <laughs> that, that that that's a long time. And it's remember if you listen back a couple of shows ago when we had the guests on, I told you I think it's Mookie Betts experience factor. I think that's money well spent. I think it's him that's pushing the rest of those buttons behind the scenes, telling them how to get over that hump. And I think once they get over this hump, we may be seeing the dynasty that they should have been the last five years. I think that he is what was missing to turn that into the dynasty that they spent the money to build. So I think he's the missing key, and I, I and I don't think they're going to end it. I think it still may go to the four length, but it's a good chance. They could, but I would like to see it go seven, because it has been entertaining and good, so I would love to see it go seven, but I, I, I'm not going to just give them the automatic they're going to win that fourth game uh, Friday night. I mean, night after the day.
0: Uh, I, I had the Dodgers ex- in six coming into this series. I'll still stick with that. Uh, a couple of observations here. Clayton Kershaw pitched uh, well of a game in game four. He's 2-0 in the World Series now, and uh, which gives the Dodgers a, a huge lift. Uh, He had another great performance in Game 5, giving up two earned runs with two walks and six strikeouts. So he's the all-time leader in strikeouts uh, as far as postseason play is concerned. Tyler Glass now on the other side who lost uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, He had seven strikeouts, but then again, uh, he made some key mistakes down the stretch. Um, uh, Dodgers didn't pounce on him this time like they did in Game 1 offensively, but he made a couple of key mistakes, and he just couldn't get over that hump. And the Tampa Bay offense just couldn't break through against great pitching. And that's what we say all the time in baseball. It's all about defense. It's all about uh, starting pitching. And it's about timely hitting. If you don't have those three factors, you will will not win in the postseason. Now, going back to Saturday's game three, it was a classic. The the Dodgers had a couple mishaps. Tampa Bay took advantage of that. They reminded you of the 2005 White Sox. They are a good team, but when you make a mistake, the other team makes you pay, and that's what happened on Saturday in the classic back and forth affair. It reminded me of game five back in 2017 between the Dodgers and the Houston Astros. We all know why Houston won that game. <coughs> so uh, was, was the monkey winch that. But Saturday's game three – game four, rather, was a classic. Now, Sunday's game five, it was more of your traditional low-scoring 4-2 game, which the Dodgers uh, won, but it was about – pitching and clutch hitting and and the Dodgers have been more consistent in that uh all postseason long I still like I said before I still had the Dodgers in six but if Tampa Bay pushes to pushes it to seven I wouldn't be upset at all
1: yeah me neither I I had the Dodgers in six too but like I said this has been a great world series like I like I was telling people you know the the Rays have a lot of young talent on that team you know Blake Snell Mm -hmm. and among others so you know, this is going to be one of those long series, and like, I had Dodgers in six. And look, would I be upset if it's you know ends up going to seven? No, but at the same time, if you're a Dodgers fan, I think for their own blood pressure, I think they would rather <laughs> it ends tomorrow night <laughs> so they can celebrate for the first. Life. So they can party like it's 1988.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't I'm, if I'm if I'm the Dodgers, I wouldn't want to go seven against them. I would want to end it in six because mm-hmm. yep. that would be too unpredictable to be too no. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be put in that situation. And I really wouldn't want to see the Dodgers in that situation because the old Dodgers might reappear and they might forget to show up. And and I wouldn't want that to happen. So I think they need to, like Lakina just said, for their own well being, they need to eliminate them in six. Cause I don't think they want to play game seven against that team.
1: It'll be Blake Snell. It'll be Blake Snell and Tony Ginosolano. I think that's how you say his name. You know, for the Dodgers <laughs> tomorrow night. So, I think if you're the doctor, if you're the Dodgers, you hope that Ginosolano, you, know, you know, has a a great start and can the bats can you know show up quick and in it early.
0: Yeah. Did you guys know, notice during Game Four on Saturday, uh, Kaling Jansen, As we we brought up his name throughout. Uh, this postseason run for the Dodgers. You notice how ironic it was that Dave Roberts sent him out there to try to nail down game four, and then all those mistakes happened, he happened to take the loss. Did you kind of find that ironic? I'm I'm not going to say it was all his fault, but did you guys feel it was ironic that he was out there on the mound when all that uh, action was taking place in the bottom of the ninth inning? I'm just, just asking. (laughs)
1: <laughs> only <Uh-oh. Holy laughs> fitting. It's only fitting, right, that Jensen would be out there for all that craziness that happened. Yeah. But look. Well, but look. I'm glad the Dodgers got over it. I mean, that they could have easily just like folded up and just like, okay, okay, it's happening to us again. But they didn't. So they did their thing last night.
2: Yeah, But like, but like, see, said by him being out there and he saying his ironicness of it, could that be a sign of them saying, well, we gonna move forward, going forward? away from you and do you think they will pull that same trigger in this next game if need be do you think they will send him out there again or will they hold off on him this time so that will be something that's interesting to look for should be
1: fun should be fun all right so uh you guys want to take a little uh, like nice little quick breather you know, take a twenty second time. Yes, we timeout. need it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: Take a take a twenty second time out to stretch, and we're gonna have Jay Zawalski, the Blackhawks guy, from six seventy to score to talk Blackhawks. We'll also talk some college football. You know, the Big Ten came back this weekend. You know, some good performances there, and so, so, and not so good performances, <clears throat> quote unquote, <laughs> Illinois. Uh- <laughs> wait,
2: wait, 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 wait. broke up. What did you say? I, I don't uh,
1: is that, is that, <laughs> that Going in and out? <laughs> So, so we'll be back with more coming up on second season sports Zoom style. Zoom, Zoom style. All right, welcome back to second segment of oh, se- second season sports Zoom style. Zoom,
0: Zoom style. <laughs>
1: All right, once again, I'm LaKeita McGee. You can follow me at Kina McGee on Twitter and at Kina underscore McGee on the IG. I'm
2: Lamont. You can follow me at Lamont Scott on Facebook, Lamont Scott 69 on Instagram, and Lamont Scott 16 on Twitter.
0: I'm Cindy Brown. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the Insta at CK80. Once again, at CK80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. And you can... Listen to this podcast along with our other programming from We Are Regal Real just by searching for War on Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Wherever you download your podcast, make sure you search for War on Anchor. And we are also on iHeartRadio. Please download the iHeartRadio app. And when you do, search for War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. And you can access our podcast. And we are also on YouTube at War Media. That's WARR Media. You can watch us do our thing live. And here we are with our beautiful, lovely, intelligent faces.
1: Ta-da! <laughs> All right. Uh, the NBA, this actually just came about like right as we were, you know, dispersing on Friday. But we can talk a little bit more in depth while we're waiting for Jay. But they're pers- the NBA is pursuing a pre-Christmas start, December 23rd. That's sort of the the, that's sort of like the target date. Yeah, reduced regular season 72 games and no all-star game is supposed to be in Indianapolis next year. Sorry, all our friends in Indy, but due to the Corona pandemic. Um, so among the, some of the other changes that are being used um, a two week break at the midway point instead of an all-star break. So what do you guys think about some of the, some of the details that are coming up about this potential start of the season?
2: Um, I think it, I think it, I think they need to do it. I think the not having an all-stop break is good. I think getting it back underway uh, I, from what they were saying, they're not going to use like a bubble situation. They're gonna move around a little bit. So I think they need to give it a shot just to give it a more of a fair shake if you want to use that term to give it more of a home field advantage if you want to say that. I think they need to move and play in all of the as many arenas as they can. As far I know, with the COVID, is dangerous. But I think they need to move it and make it the global game that it is, and that everybody loves.
0: I think it's a great thing for the NBA if you can get in as many games as possible. And also, too, it'll depend on what, uh, with these different states what their guidelines are or how many. Uh, fans should will that be allowed in the arena, especially in the beginning of, during these winter months in January and February. Especially, you got to have a state like Florida. You know, they've been open up for business ever since the pandemic uh, started, so they can have close to full capacity. In like a state that we're broadcasting from in Illinois, you may not have any fans in the stands, or you may have very few. So it's going to depend on how many fans are allowed in, in the stands, or going from by state to state. So the NBA. We all know, it has, and with all these professional sports, had have to recoup some revenue of some form. Now, without the All-Star game, it's things, but uh, you have to get in as many games as possible. Trust me, the city of Indianapolis will get their All-Star birth within the next few years or so. Now, uh, as far as the Olympics, and we talked about this on the show a couple of months ago, you guys, uh, it, lo- it looks like they want to have, as of right now, they want to have the NBA players participate in the Olympics, which is in late July, early August. So, if they have a 60-game season or 70-game season, you know, the finals will end around mid-June. And so whoever, whoever participates in the Olympics, should they be playing in the playoffs or not, they have enough time to recuperate and start training for the Olympics. So, you know, if the NBA can pull this off, uh, hats off to them. It's just I think the question will be. How many games will they play in a season? How many back-to-backs will they have? Because you don't want to end up like a situation like you did in 1999, coming off a of lockout. You had a 50-game schedule trying to play in so many days. You had a one set of three games uh, in a row, back-to-back-to-back. And uh, you definitely do not want to go through that again. You're going to have that same situation back in 2012, coming off another lockout. We had a 66-game season with one set of – they're playing three games in a row. So it's going to be a question of uh, how will the schedule be uh, constructed? How I many back to back, uh, will that be there? Will you have a, a set of three games in a row? I'm assuming if you have between a 65- and a 72-game season, you won't have three games uh, in a row. But we don't know. That's just the dynamic I want to see play out.
1: It's yeah. going to be interesting, though, because it's all tentative. You know, there are some things may change. and I guess the way they're going to set it up is that maybe – that it may happen in some of these home stadiums, but they just won't have any crowds or maybe limited crowds. So there's still a lot of things that got to work out here, but that doesn't leave like guys like LeBron, you know, who's who's 35. And that doesn't leave a lot of time to recover. So that's only gives them what, maybe a month, maybe I'm assuming like a month of training camp. And then they start, I'm just assuming there's going to be some type of preseason games, maybe three or four to kind of like get everybody sort of in game shape. And then after that, you start on the 23rd of December. I mean, look, most people don't start watching the NBA till Christmas time. Christmas time, anyway. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do.
2: But like, like you say, Lakina, I, I, that's why when they did that whole bubble thing, I think it's unfair, and that they should have let other people, you know, other teams that make the playoffs, should have let them play some kind of basketball. It's kind of all even, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's the same amount of work and time, and one won't be tired of the other. So that's so, I think, and then schedule should be around
0: 50, maybe 55. All right, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Join us right now to discuss uh, his interview with uh, the Blackhawks general manager, uh, Stan Bowman, and talking all things Chicago Blackhawks hockey. There's the Blackhawks insider for 670Score, and and also an executive producer for the Dan Bursting Show. You can listen to it every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 12 noon Central Standard Time on 670Score and 4 in the Radio.com app. And he's also the co host of the Manhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with our good friend James Navon from NBC5 Chicago. He is Jay Sawaski. You can follow him on Twitter, Twitter at Jay Sawaski 670 Once again, a Jay Sawoski670. Jay, welcome to the program. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, before we break down the, the meat and the potatoes of, the, of your interview with, with GM Stan Bowman, what was your first impressions of, of him? Uh, and did you think uh, that you got all the answers that you wanted out of that interview?
3: <laughs> well, I think any time you cover a sport for – As long as I have, as soon as you finish an interview like that, you think of the 15 things you forgot to ask. And I've been sort of beating myself up over the last few days about, man, I should have said this and I should have asked him this. But all Mm -hmm. in all, I was really impressed with his transparency. And I think that in all sports, fans have a tendency to create realities that maybe aren't there or to spin things a certain way. And to hear from the GM, this is my plan. Whether I agree with the plan or not, to hear what it was was actually very helpful, right? Cause it helped me sort of uh, look at the way things are going in a different way. And that's sort of going to inform how I see everything from you know last week on through the lens of what he's talked to all these people about. So while well, it's great for us to have that insight, it's also for him, it's gonna create some accountability for him because now With everybody in on the plan, everybody knows what he wants to do. Now he's going to have to answer for every move that doesn't exactly fit that plan. So I like that. It not only informs the people that cover the team, it also puts a little bit of pressure and stress on Sam Bowman to deliver on what he's promised.
1: Tell everyone, for those who didn't listen to the interview, sort of a cliff notes version of what that plan is that Bowman wants to implement. So
3: the danger is everyone's calling it a rebuild. It's not a rebuild. What, what Stan Bowman has said is he's rebuilding the depth of the team. And what he wants to do is keep the core intact core being Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, uh, mostly because he has to, because there's not a lot of teams that are going to take on those deals. So those guys are going to be here. And then what he wants to do is build up the depth behind those guys with young players. So, you saw him make a couple moves this offseason, right? He trained at Brandon Sod, and everybody said, well, why didn't he get a prospect? Why didn't he get some draft picks? Well, he got those – he got a, a player that's ready now. He got a 25-year-old defenseman who is ready to play and jump into the lineup now as opposed to a draft pick who is two, three years away from contributing if they even make it because you're not going to get a first-round pick for Brandon Saad. So what what Bowman said he's trying to do is acquire – more young talent to come to the roster now and then make sure they commit to developing the young players they have now. So that I'm on board with that plan. Cause you realistically can't trade your core players. It's just impossible with the flat cap and with the salaries those guys make and with the age they are. So the best way to stay competitive is develop the guys you have and try to acquire some young talent where you can. I just don't want to see him ditching first round picks like he's done so many times over the years to just try to sneak into the playoffs. It hasn't worked. Uh, So hopefully this new plan, if he sticks to it, will work and get them into playoff position sooner than later. Lamont. Uh, Lamont, Lamont, did you have a question? Yeah, I was okay. gonna
2: I was gonna ask him when you when you uh had the opportunity to interview him, did you uh maybe find out a move or two that he didn't publicly say to us so far, or did you get any type of idea or something that he may be having in his plans that's on the table that they're just not letting out to us?
3: Um a couple times in different interviews, including the one we had, he mentioned trying to get a goalie next offseason. I don't know if he's got someone specific in mind. When you look at the unrestricted free agent goalies that are coming out uh, after this next season, there's not a lot of names that really would fit the planners a lot of older guys like Henrik Lundqvist and Tukarask, but that doesn't fit into what Sam Baum is describing. So there is an expansion draft coming, so there will be players made available there. Um, I think that it does sound like he has someone in mind though, and that would, would explain too why he didn't uh, extend Corey Crawford beyond one year. He wanted to give him one year. Crawford wanted two. So Crawford is now a New Jersey Devil. It sounds to me like he's got a goalie in mind for next offseason. Who that is remains to be seen. But it does sound like if Suban or Lankinen or Delia doesn't jump up and take this number one starter job clearly, right? And show and prove that they're a number one starter, it feels like there is someone in mind for him. Jay Sarwaski
0: of six seven score the Chicago Blackhawks
3: and Stars joining us right here on
0: Second City Sports, along with Lakina McGee and Lamont Scott. I am Sydney Brown. Jay, let's take it with that goalie situation for the Blackhawks. Of course, Corey Crawford, Grof- as you mentioned, uh Stan Bowman and the organization said goodbye to him and thanking him for his nine years of service with the team. Of course, in the offseason there were a, a Goalies that were signed everywhere. Me personally, I wanted Braden Holtby, the former Capitals goalie. He's now with Vancouver. I think that team is on the way up, especially which is what we saw against the St. Louis Blues in the playoffs yeah. this past year. And also, there were rumors out there that Mark Andre Fleury, who the Hawks saw in the playoffs, uh, rumors to be him being traded here. Of course, that didn't work out. Of course, now it goes back to Robin Leonard. I know that the the stories were that. The Hawks were trying to sign Robin Leonard long-term, but now because of the cap situation, I didn't think it was going to work out anyway, even though he was playing his best hockey uh, of the year, and he carried the Hawks for a while. Uh, It seems like to me now that it looks like it's going to be Malcolm Subban or Colin Delia, who had a good year in Rockford this past season, uh, do you see uh, anybody else stepping into the pitch or it's going to be up to one of those two guys to take that starting spot?
3: It doesn't seem like they're going to add anything uh, other than what they have already. And uh, look, th- this is, I think this particular scenario is why people are calling it a rebound because they're taking three unproven guys and saying compete for probably the most important yeah. job on the ice. But a week before they were so far into discussions with Matt Murray Uh, they would have acquired from the penguins they were talking contract extension with him when they saw that he was more than they wanted to pay they walked away from the deal so they were looking at other goalies they also talked about uh, darcy kemper from arizona was a guy they looked into trading for um so this planning goal wasn't the plan all along they tried to bring crawford back for a year there were a couple trades they were looking at but it seems like as of now they're pretty content to go with these three um I'm not as content with that because I feel like, well, look, if you're not going to rebuild, if you're not going to let every NHL-ready kid you have play, like Mitchell, Wyatt Kalnick, some other guys like that, if you're not going to let them play and you sign veterans like Yanmark and Walmart and uh, Zadorov, who they traded for, then you're trying to compete still. So having a goalie that you know is starter quality or at least close to starter quality is, to me, a safer bet than – just going with what they have right now. But I don't know. That's the thing. Maybe they have a lot of belief in Colin Delia and, and Malcolm Subban and Kevin Lankin. I don't, but it's just because I haven't seen many of them play in a large sample size. Subban's got the most experience. He was a first-round pick. To me, if I was handicapping it, I would think he would be the favorite just because of that. But beyond that, they've all been pretty average when tested in the NHL. Kevin Lankin hasn't had a chance at all.
1: I find it interesting, though, Jay, about what Stan said about, okay, they're not going to get rid of their core four, but, you know, Taves and Kane and then, you know, Duck and Keith, you know, maybe they can trade them to, you know, to somewhere in Canada and maybe perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of, you know, be a start off there. Also, Seabrook, you're not going to be able to move that contract, so you might as well forget about that. Yeah. So, do you uh-huh. see a scenario where they trade any sort of, you know, do they trade like the first three guys I mentioned, you know, leaving Seabrook out of it? <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. I,
3: so, I asked Stan Bowman specifically, how difficult would it be to move a $10.5 million contract in this landscape, right? I didn't say the names, but I said, I wink and a nod. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and with you know, the salary cap remaining flat for the next few years because of COVID with the big salaries that Taves and Kane make 10 and a half million dollars each is nothing to sneeze at. What Bowman said is if you're going to move a contract like that, it's going to be money in money out, whichever team is taking them is going to want to give you that back in salary. So chances are, if you make a deal like that, you're going to have to either take back some players you don't want Aging veterans, right? And maybe you get a contract that's expiring in two years instead of three. So that's a benefit, right? Right. I like the Zach Smith for an off trade is a good example. Um, or you have to eat half the salary. At which point are you better off just keeping those two? Because both of them have really good hockey left. You know, I'm I don't I don't think Brent Seabrook has good hockey left. I hope he does. Brent Seabrook is one of my favorite Blackhawks ever. And I don't want to bag on the guy, he just has aged naturally. A guy who's 36 years old who's played as much hockey as he has and the style he has is going to lose a step. That's natural. I don't blame him for that, but I don't expect him to be an everyday NHL player next year. Keith is a different story, but all these guys are going to have to approve a trade anywhere. And that throws in another wrench, right? Because they're going to want to go to the places they want to go. And when we look at the reality of hockey, any team that wants to take on a player like that, Keith especially, an old guy, 37 years old, that you're just going to, he's going to be the final piece of your playoff puzzle. They don't all have the cap space to take on a player like that. So it's a matter of what are you going to have to take back and for how long to move these deals? And are you better off just keeping those guys as almost helping you develop these young players, right? Like Kirby doc was roommates with Brent Seabrook, Right. That There is a benefit to that for Kirby <laughs> Dock, and I know it's hard for us to look at that and say, well, he learned XYZ from Brent Seabrook, but it's behavior, it's diet, it's exercise, it's routine, all those things that are tough for a young player to adapt to in what should be an 82-game season, those are the things that these veterans can teach these guys while they're still providing quality play. And I do think three of the four names we're talking about can still provide above-average NHL play. And uh, when you take that and what it would take to move those contracts, you might just be better off keeping them. Sticking with those
0: young guys, Jay, uh, Dominic Kubalik, and Kirby Doc, as you just mentioned a moment ago. But I want to focus on Alex and of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three of those guys are going to as I mentioned. That this this was their first playoff run this year. You know the beating Edmonton and, and ultimately losing to Vegas in the opening round. Alex Dabrinka, uh I, I compare him to Artemi Pernarin because he has a lot of potential, and we saw him score 40 goals last year. He struggled this year, including the playoffs. I know he's a free agent in a couple of years, along with Kane and Taze. I, I don't want to panic as a fan, but if the Hawks don't turn it around, at least get back to playoff contention. Uh, because, as you mentioned, with the salary cap situation, and now because of COVID, I'm afraid he's going to walk out the door l- like Panarin did, and and we're going to get nothing for him. Uh, you can tell me that I'm crazy, or you <laughs> think he's going to turn around? Well, see th- the Brinkham in Hawks uniform. Well, for you, the you majority, ne- of the yeah.
3: Well, you never know with Stan Bowman, right? Which prospects are going to go? I think you're pretty safe uh, counting on Alex to bring it to be here for a long time. Look we lose sight of it because he's been around so long he's 22 years old he came into the nhl very young unexpectedly uh, a guy with his size with his skill set a lot of people didn't think he was going to make the nhl but he basically forced the hawks hand by being one of their best players in the preseason and he's been there ever since last year was a down year numbers wise and i asked sam bowman about this too because bowman always points to development as a plus of jeremy collins i said you can say that but your most expensive youngest asset had his worst year last season statistically and Sam pointed out correctly that the Brinkett's chances were there. He was generating the chances. He was getting the looks. He just wasn't converting. And he said, I hate to say he had bad luck, but he had bad luck. And there is some truth to that. I think there is some reality to that where I was to it, if he gets the chances he got more often than not, he'll convert on those. And I think he just had a coincidentally kind of a down year now. Is 41 goals every year for Alex to bring realistic? Probably not. But if we're talking somewhere between 30 and 35 every year, that's a guy who you're going to get probably 60, 70 points from every season. Now with Brandon Saad gone, that opens up a spot on the top line that will probably be his. So he's going to be playing with better players more often. He's going to get more power play chances as well. So I think that um worrying about to bring uh, his production. I wouldn't worry about that at all about his future. It's hard for me to say, with Stan Bowman saying everything he's saying about adding young players, building a young core, letting our guys develop, to me, that, that is spotlighting Alex it. They won't need to make him – you know, he's got to be the cane to Kirby Doc's tapes if this is going to be another Stanley Cup contender. Whether or not either of those guys get to that level, we have to wait and see. Bowman seems to think that Doc is a year or two away from being the team's number one center. And by being an all-star type player, uh, what we saw from him in the playoffs, hints towards that, because he was probably the best and most consistent Hawk throughout the series against Edmonton. And even in Vegas, Kirby Dock was awesome. And you saw he was leading the team in nice time. He was playing on the power play and shorthanded. He's moving into that role probably more quickly than people thought he would. So if he can take that number one job and then sort of ease Jonathan Taves' load, that's helpful for everybody because now you don't have a Jonathan Taves who has to be counted on to do everything.
1: What about Neander? I mean, Neander is one of those guys where he's sort of like Jekyll and Hyde. You don't yes. know what you're going to get from him. So <laughs> yeah. I'm I, I mature for him. You know, Sid knows this but uh, where do you yep. think he fits? Where do you think he fits in? Uh, I'm in top six or the top line.
3: I think Alex Nylander fits in where he decides he wants to fit. And, and <laughs> one thing that James Neveau and I have talked about since his acquisition was you look at Alex Nylander as a guy with all the skills you'd ever ask for. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the hands. He's got the yep. ability. Everything's there for him, except the mental part of the game. There are moments where he makes dumb, uh, reckless, uh, or lazy plays and when I sort of said that Stan Bowman on the same token of like look you you talk about Cowan developing what about Alex Nylander he said the same thing like Alex needs to put himself in better situations to succeed he can't be trying to make the perfect play every time and as soon as the mental part of the game connects with the physical part of the game for Nylander he's going to be a really good player if it happens it has to happen the hardest thing to teach a guy is IQ right like if you, I can teach, you know, I, an NFL quarterback is a good, is a good example. You can have a guy with a great arm and great legs, but if you can't read a defense, Mitch Trubisky, the tools are useless. right? <laughs> like you look <laughs> at Mitch and he's a, he's a, he looks like a prototype. He's got the size. He's athletic. He's got a cannon for an arm. But if you can't read a defense, you're useless, right? The, Alex Newlander to me is sort of the hockey cl- equivalent of Mitch Trubisky where all the tools are there but does he have the mental approach to the game to get his game to that next level? That's what remains to be seen from Alex Nylander. And look, I know there was a huge spotlight on him last year and I'm guilty of this too, of looking at him maybe a little bit unfairly because of the trade, because of the Okaharu trade, but he's 22 also. And last year was his first real chance to become an everyday NHL player. And there were so many moments where everyone was frustrated with him. But when you look at the stat sheet, he didn't have a bad year, you know, I'm pulling it up here. I don't have it on top of my head. Of course I should. What kind of a broadcaster am I? Right. But you know, he, had, he had 26 points in 65 games. That's not great, but for 22, that's okay. You know, and if he can be better, you know, instead of being bad 50% of the time, he's only bad 25% of the time. That's a big boost for me. That's a big jump. So I've not given up on him. I just think that what's encouraging to me is that Stan Bowman and the Blackhawks are seeing the same thing from him that we all are watching the games. Heading down the home stretch with
0: six seventy scores, hockey guy, Jay Zawoski on second city sports along with Lakina McGee and Lamont Scott. I am Cindy Brown. Jay, uh, going back to that, um, manhouse, Chicago hockey podcast, so interview with Stan Bowman, you and James were discussing, uh, about Stan Bowling looks like he's going. He's he's allowed to do what he wants to do. And now with ex President John McDonough uh, no longer in the organization, uh, my assumption was that. He was starting to interfere in Bowman's business. And we always, uh, as fans and as experts, have given the Hawks credit for putting the proper people for the proper positions and without interfering in other people's jobs. Am I correct on that assumption or you can just tell me that I'm crazy?
3: Um, Well, the Hawks keep everything so tight that it's hard to truly get a – a a truly accurate answer of how involved John McDonough was. What I've heard Stan Bowman say was that he was always there sort of asking questions like okay, you want to make this trade, why? How does this make us better? And I think when you have your boss over your shoulder, even if the boss's intentions are good, it makes you second guess what you're going to do and you say, okay, if I bring this move to John, what's he going to say? Is he going to be happy with this? As opposed to just doing what you think is right for the hockey team. Stan Bowman's a hockey guy. John McDonough is not. That's a fact. And I know people don't love Stan Bowman, but his dad is Scotty freaking Bowman. And Stan Bowman's been in the NHL with the Blackhawks since 2001. People forget how long he worked his way up to the GM job. It wasn't just handed to him. So he knows hockey. Whether you disagree with his moves or not, he's a hockey guy. McDonough's not. So now I'm interested to see, without the interference of McDonough, if things truly change with uh, Stan Bowman. Because I do think there was some pressure to – make a splash signing right bring in a name that people know on J- on july 1st sign a guy that fans are going to get excited about even if it wasn't necessarily the right move to make hockey wise i think too, some of these old names coming back might have john mcdonough written all over them right like andrew shaw hey let's get Sean back he's a fan favorite I don't know this I don't know and we're gonna find out if that was truly the case or not as the years go forward here and we see what Stan Bowman's moves look like without that influence but he was part of it he was definitely an influence to the degree I'm not quite sure and I think it's just sort of in Bowman's nature to downplay it because he doesn't want to sound like he's blaming McDonough for his failures
1: what about jeremy collinson uh jay because i i see a lot of hawks fans you know very like not so favorable to him um do you think he could be the guy that kind of leads the black hawks to whatever level they're trying to trying to do with this rebuild not rebuild or halfway rebuild or whatever
3: (laughs) well i've said to you about him that Jeremy Cowan might be a good coach. I just don't know if he's the right coach for this team at this time. And when I said that to Stan Bowman, I said, "What is it that makes you believe that Jeremy Cowan is good head coach and the right guy to bring the bear or the Bears? I'm sorry, read your shirt, Sydney, to
0: bring the Blackhawks <laughs> into
3: the uh, next era here?" And he pointed to the generation gap between Keith Seabrook, Taves, Kane, and you know DeBrinket, Strome, Nealander, etc. Players, younger players need a different style of coaching. Whereas back in the day, Stan or Joel Quenville could have said, Taves, you were terrible today. Be better next time. Get out of my office. And Jonathan Taves would take that and know what it meant and know what he had to do. Players now, when they're confronted with that same style, they want to be told like, well, what did I do wrong? Show me. Show me how to fix it. Show me what I did wrong. And that's where he thinks Jeremy Counton's really strong suit is, is communicating with the younger players. And fine, I'll buy that. But the fact remains that you still got these four guys on this team, that their numbers are going to hang over the United Center for eternity, right? And those guys have a lot of influence in that locker room. And I I said this to Bowman. I said, if I'm Adam Boquist and I hear – Jeremy Collin describe a play or a strategy. And I look over at Duncan Keith and Duncan Keith shakes his head or rolls his eyes or whatever. Do I have faith in Jeremy Collin? Who's whose side am I going to take on that? It's Duncan Keith. Even if we take the Blackhawks out of it, right. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're a red wing from the nineties. Okay. And you're on the ice and there's Nick Lidstrom and the red wings have fired Scotty Bowman and brought in this young new coach. (laughs) <laughs> and Nick Lidstrom rolls his eyes at the coach, you're going to be like, this coach doesn't know what he's talking about because Nick Lidstrom is mad about it, right? You, that to me is, that's the problem. If the veterans don't believe, and if the veterans aren't on board with Cowlton, then it's going to kind of poison the well a little bit. And Bowman insists that the vets are on board and that they're they're learning the system. I'm not fully convinced on that yet. Yeah. couple more questions for Jay
0: Zawanski, a 670 score right here on Second City Sports. Jay, uh, let's go to the Blackhawks defense core. It's been a problem for the last three or four years. Of course, one of the prospects is supposed to make his debut in 2021 is Ian Mitchell. Of course, you have Adam Brokers, who was brought up this past season. Uh, assuming that we'll that the season will start in January or February or whenever, do you expect Ian Mitchell to make the to make the club right away, or do you think uh, that he'll be brought at some point uh, in 2021?
3: I do think he'll be part of the team this year. Uh, right away remains to be seen. It's going to be hard if Brent Seabrook is healthy, unless he's terrible. And whatever the preseason looks like, I think it's going to be tough for Jeremy Calton to say you're out. Here, but here's something to keep in mind. And Calton said this to us on the, or Bowman said this to us on our interview. He thought going into last season that Ian Mitchell was ahead of Adam Boquist in terms of development. He's older than Boquist. He's played through college already. So he's a little more – was even last year more NHL-ready than Boquist was. So I think there's a chance that Mitchell makes the team out of camp and Boquist doesn't, that Boquist starts in Rockford, gets some playing time, gets some penalty kill time. And that, to me, as much as I would hate to see Adam Boquist sent down because I want to see young, exciting players on the roster, it might not be bad for his development – to go down to Rockford, dominate, play in every situation, play huge minutes, and build his confidence back up before he comes up, if Mitchell's better than Boakless in, in, in training camp, I think that final spot belongs to Mitchell, not Boakless.
1: Where do you see this Hawks team at the end of the next season, whatever it starts?
3: It's so hard to tell without knowing how the goalies are going to be. I mean, look, you had two all-star goalies this year for the vast majority of the season with Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard. Uh, You can argue that this roster this year is better than it was last year, maybe. I would say it's maybe as good at best. And that team with two all-star goalies couldn't make the playoffs without a pandemic happening, right? They were the 12th of 12 seeds when it's usually eight. So they were not a playoff team last year with the great goalies. For me to bring myself to they're going to be a playoff team now with Malcolm Subban or Delia or Lankin and whoever it is. That's a really hard map for me to draw. Now a bounce back season from the Okay. Growth from Kirby doc. Okay. Growth from Nylander. Sure. Um, you know, Dylan Strome coming back and looking like the guy from two years ago versus last year, a big jump from Boakles, a big jump from Mitchell. Now we, now we can talk a little bit, right? Another guy we haven't mentioned at all yet is Pia Suter, who they signed from Switzerland this off season. Very similar profile to Dominic Kubelik, 25 years old, led that league in scoring. He's going to get a chance to make the team too. So if all these ifs become positives, right? If all these young players take a step, a goalie emerges as a true number one, and some of these other veteran, you know, 25, 27-year-olds work out, then maybe we're talking about a playoff spot. But to me, that's a lot of ifs to project that with any confidence at this point.
0: Last question for you, Jay. You have a new book coming out. You can add author to your title now, as yeah. along, as, along with the executive producer of the Dan Bernstein show on 670 The Score. Uh, when can people purchase it? How can they
3: purchase it? How did this project come about? I was approached by Triumph Books about two years ago about writing this book, uh, and it took me a year to write. I finished it last December, and it's available November 10th. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. I got one right here. I'm going to reach for it. Cause this is also my mail room you're looking at. So there's the book. Uh, okay. Kind of books. Um, so it's 50 chapters. F- it's more like 50 essays on just different topics throughout Blackhawks history. Uh, if you'd like a copy, like I said, it's out November 10th in your bookstore. Uh, Amazon's got it for pre-order. Um, but if you'd like a signed advanced copy, I'm shipping those out. Now you can go to madhousepod.com book and order your copy there. And I'll sign and ship you a copy within a matter of days. So you'll have that, you know, early next week at the latest, if you order today. Um, but it's been going really well. I've sold, taking thinking like probably 200 copies just on my own, uh, not counting right. what's being sold. Nice. And pre-ordered and things like that. So it's going very well. Uh, people seem to like it. It's, it's a great bathroom reader is what I've been told because it's
0: just, <laughs> <laughs> you pick it up and put it
3: down. It's not a novel. You know, it's not a story. It's just 50 individual stories about big moments and big people. In Blackhawks history. I think it's a, it's a must have for any Hawks fan.
0: All right. That was Jay Zawoski, uh, Blackhawks Insider for 670 The Score, also the executive producer of the Dan Bursting Show. You can listen to that every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central Standard Time on 670 The Score in the radio.com app. Jay, thank you so much Anytime. for taking your, uh, your time to join us today. Keep up the great work. You're officially part of our family, and let's do this again soon. And I will purchase your book very soon. You got my work.
3: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that, and thank you for having me. It was a good time. Very much appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Jay. All Be right. safe. Thanks, Jay. You
3: too.
0: All right, and that was Jay Zawaski, Blackhawks Insider. Once again, for 670, the score. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jay JayZawaski670. Once again, at Jay Zawaski. Six seventy and please support him and go cop that book as the kids would say
1: and listen to the podcast with him and James Nouveau, another friend of ours, the friend of the show so for all you hockey yes. fans, it's definitely a must listen
0: yes the manhouse chicago uh hockey podcast
1: yep, so make sure you take that podcast out whatever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including ours so <laughs> there you there go. You go. All right, let's go back to the gridiron now. The the collegiate variety, Um, the Big Ten, we'll start with the Big Ten first since they have joined the party here. Um, Did you guys get a chance to see any games? And if you did, what stood out to you?
2: Um, I saw two. I saw the Illinois game, and and, and I saw the Ohio State game. And um, it looked like one team ready and one team not. That's like the easiest way to put it. I mean, Illinois looked like they had a bunch of freshmen on the field. And Ohio State looked like they had a bunch of football players on the field. Um, although uh, Nebraska did show up a little bit. Some people, you know, a couple of different players. I mean, that's the thing about college football that I do like. You know, you get to see a breakout kid, like, almost every game do something. So I like that aspect of it. But, uh, yeah, that's that's all I caught this weekend so far. I mean, I haven't went back to the in a, to the Big Ten network, So, but I will be going.
0: As Lamont mentioned, Ohio State was impressive with a 52-17 win over Nebraska. I did catch some of that game. Notre Dame, uh, we, we talked about this in our last episode on Friday. Um, they were kind of struggling along for victories. Now they're at 5-0. Oh, they dominated Pittsburgh on the, on the road, 45-3. The second biggest margin of victory for Notre Dame since 2003, I believe, against Stanford. So uh, the Irish were very impressive. Uh, the Saturday night contest, uh, Minnesota and Michigan. Michigan uh, came out on fire. Minnesota, I don't know what happened to them, but uh, it seems like they were just dominated up, up by the Wolverines the in their defense. And, of course, the Miami Hurricanes, they barely hung on to beat Virginia 19-14. Uh, the offense did not show up for Miami. I don't know what was going on there. Virginia, they were there, but it looks like they weren't mentally there. I know the score is uh, was closer than what it appeared, but Miami I thought could have performed a little bit better offensively.
2: Sid, uh, I heard you mention that Notre Dame game. You think it was right for them to get leaf by by uh, Ohio State? Even though Ohio State only played just one game, you think that that warranted them getting – jumped over Notre Dame after that performance? Notre Dame did put out a decent performance themselves.
0: Yeah, technically, no, but I can understand why, because the Ohio State is a better team. And I think Notre Dame got penalized because, as we mentioned before, they struggled uh, through the first few weeks of the season, barely being these teams that are supposedly better than on, on paper. So I think that's why Ohio State leapfrogged over them as far as polls are concerned. But we're going to see this. Uh, in the next few weeks until the end of the regular season, until uh, conference play, because all uh, all the uh, major conferences started late, and so we're waiting for the Patots to show up in a couple of weeks. So it's going to be a bigger mess there. So I'm not surprised that that happened.
1: Yeah, get ready for more mess with that once they start. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Oregon, look, Oregon. I know they've had a, a outbreak, kind of a mini outbreak with COVID, but they've had to, they had stop for like a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks back. So we'll see what they do once they get back going um Michigan looked really good I mean look Joe Milton I mean he wasn't spectacular but he didn't make any mistakes he didn't cause any turnovers remember this is this is this is Jim Harbaugh's first like recruit that's what I mean. so you QB.
2: think he found his quarterback you think yeah he
1: yeah I mean, the- yeah, I think. Look, we'll see you know, as the games go. But uh, like I said, he didn't make any big mistakes. You know, he didn't fumble. He didn't throw any interceptions. You know, two hundred twenty-five yards. You know, a touchdown. I mean, it was really the defense that kind of helped Michigan in that in that sense against Minnesota. But remember, this is actually his guy remember all the quarterbacks he's had you know he's either inherited them or they transferred so this is actually the i think he's only a sophomore so this is like the first guy that he actually is recruiting that's starting so we'll see what he does they say he's really good i think he's like a top 10 recruit out of from florida so we'll see what he does but let's remember too minnesota lost a lot of their guys on defense last year so i think that's glaring um, Illinois, I mean, I don't know what the hell happened with Illinois. I mean, you know, everybody was saying that look, this could be a breakout year. Uh, Graham Mertz, you know, uh, get well soon to, to him because you know, he knows five touchdowns and you know comes. You know, turns out he look, now has COVID. So again, that's sort of <laughs> that's sort of like the the par for the course.
2: <laughs> but I think I think I think Illinois. They still going to have a good season. I think they they got hit in the mouth. You know how you get hit in the mouth quick in a fight and you never recover? I think that's what kind of happened to them. I don't think they're as bad as they look. (laughs) Hmm.
0: But as you mentioned, LaKena, in our last uh, episode over the weekend, uh, Wisconsin was looking for revenge because of what happened last year down in Champaign. They took their foot off the gas and they got caught with their pants down, no pun intended. So, that's why we saw the, uh, the beam that they gave Illinois on Friday. Now, I want to go to the Indiana-Penn State game. What an exciting finish, 36-35 to in overtime. Indiana going for two for the win, and they converted on it.
1: Yeah, he, yeah. yeah he, he made it in, too. I mean, I know some people say, wait, he did yeah. it down. But a part of the ball, crossed the plane. And that's all you need. You know, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you're That was a great call need.
0: and a great play.
1: Yeah, it was a great play by the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, Penn State, what what happened there? I mean, they kind of kept up for all the guys once they came back. So, I, I don't know. That there's a lot, a lot of questions there. I know a lot of people are asking for James Franklin's head. We'll see. But uh, we'll see. I mean, they, they got Ohio State next week. So, we'll see what they do this week. So what they do there? <laughs>
2: fun. That cannot be fun. Whoever's oh. gotta, that's not going to be good.
1: Also, Oklahoma State, I mean, they're undefeated in the Big 12 play. They got a nice win against Iowa State. I watched a little bit of that game. Um, Spencer Sanders, you know, looked really good. I mean, Chuba Hubbard, I mean, you know, he was doing Chuba Hubbard, you know, doing his thing. So, but also, like I said, their defense has actually been pretty good. <laughs> so, they had three sacks. So, I don't know. OK State, I don't know if they'll end up winning the Big 12, but well, we'll see what they do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course, uh, number one, Clemson continues to roll. They're now 6-0, and 5-0 in the ACC after defeating Syracuse, 47-21. to Trevor Lawrence, 289 yards passing with two touchdowns. And uh, Omari Rodgers, eight receptions for 91 yards. Uh, I don't see anybody right now beating Clemson. I know they're playing Notre Dame, I believe, in South Bend in a couple of weeks. That should be a good one. But, as a right I don't see anybody being Clemson before the college football playoffs. That's just me.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. I think I would be surprised. Well, we'll talk about more once the game comes, but I would be surprised that mm-hmm. if if Clubs ends up blowing out Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, I think right now it look like they're gonna run the table pretty much until they get to the playoff and we'll see what happened there. And they may run it still. You know, they, they look and 'cause they look they look good on two and three levels. Like on all levels they got depth. So They look good, you know, completely. And a lot of these other teams that have a good this or a good that, but they got a couple of good everythings. So,
1: yeah, a special shout out to Cincinnati. I watched a little bit of that game. Desmond Ritter, I mean, I'm surprised he's not getting a lot of Heisman considerations. Had three touchdown rushes, rushed for 179 yards, and actually threw a touchdown too. Luke Fickle. Has done a really good job of developing developing that Bearcats program. They look really good. They could be they could be kind of a thorn in that side for a playoff. I mean, I don't know if who knows if they'll make it, but they looked really good. They got a pretty good defense too. I'm gonna have to check them
2: out. I haven't had a chance to check them
0: out yet. I'm gonna have to look at them.
1: Yeah, they look really good. Situations. And also. Uh,
0: yeah, also to num- number two, Alabama rolled over Tennessee 48-17. to 17. You know, uh, they kick returner for the Crimson Tide served a season-ending injury. Alabama kept their foot uh, on the pedal and uh, never let go. Of course, Matt Jones had 387 yards passing off the 25-31. 20, for 31, uh, And Najee Harris had 20 carries for 96 yards and three touchdowns. So overall, a uh, dominant performance by Alabama on the road in SEC play.
1: Jalen no, Jay, Waddle, that's who you're talking about, said Yeah, yeah. Tough, a tough one there, tough loss. I mean, we'll see if that comes back. But Alabama has so much depth, so I don't think it's gonna gonna matter too heard much. Him. But yeah. too much. But yeah, they'll they'll be okay.
2: And, and um, I'm I'm liking uh, the quarterback. Like I think they t- they managed to tuck him away for a couple of years, and he looked real good. Ever, I mean, he's looking real good. Like I think each game he gets better. And I'm I'm anxious to see as the season goes on where his name's going to end up around this Heisman talk, and will it start playing in the Heisman talk? The more Alabama wins, the more I think his name should be mentioned. If he continues to throw three and four touchdowns a game,
1: yeah. I mean, what what else did you guys see over the weekend before before we uh, wrap up?
2: Uh, 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 you know, I had one of my uh, wonderful pay per view last night, and, and The Rock is on his way, as always. And Fox, you know, Fox is doing... I'm t- I, it's funny to see Fox using their platform the way they use it. Like, I've never seen wrestling portrayed like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're actually treating it as a real sport, so to speak. Like, with pre-game shows, post-game shows, they doing locker room interviews and they're using real Fox reporters to do these things. So to see them doing all of that is it's real interesting. But I guess when you up a billion dollars, you, you, you got to get your money's worth. But they, uh, they they did a real nice thing that they set up and how they bring in the rock back and they do like a family thing. So that was that was interesting last night actually. So I've been looking forward to see how they was gonna incorporate him back into the fold with him being gone. And he only come when he wants to. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and then he's still not not gonna wrestle until April. But the pre, you know what I'm saying? The story set up last night for him to come in April and clean house and Ronda Rousey come back with him to do her thing also. So they literally set up everything for April Last night you know, that 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 was good for me last
1: night what about you said uh
0: I'm looking forward to uh, of course when we when we come uh we co- uh, we commence on Friday uh we'll review bears Rams uh of course it's going to be fun wherever the results are uh, because if you listen to this on Tuesday you already know the results so we'll have our entertaining thoughts in review of <laughs> Contest, so of course, we're going to preview Bears Saints, and uh, I, we will have a new champion. in May-
1: Oh, what happened? Oh, I think someone lost his I think Sid lost his uh, his signal there, but uh, yeah, we'll have a we'll have a new champion in the uh, World Series once we do comments on Friday. What, so, what's, what's the thing gonna
2: happen tonight? Have your have, have, have uh thoughts swayed any going into this game from the last time we talked on the radio? Have you? Changed anything you feel about this Bears game tonight? You think anything different could happen?
1: I don't think so. I, 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 like, I like I said, I mean, I they're not going to lose by two or three, like, touchdowns or them like that. But I think it's going to be a close game, like I've been saying. And I, I think, look, I think the Rams will have – I think the Rams' talent will outlast the Bears. Yeah.
2: And, and, and you think, like, I, I was, I was uh, talking to somebody else, and I was like, do you think it will be an ego check? and see who got the biggest ego, Mac or Donald, and see who's going to hurt the other quarterback the most. And, like, you would think, like, back in the day, that's kind of how games used to go. Like, when Lawrence Taylor would play the Raiders, you know how long, they both were like, okay, we're going to see who's going to hurt <laughs> the other quarterback. I wonder do they have that type of intense rivalry with each other as far as let's show who the best, because they keep throwing our names out there so one gonna try to outshine the other tonight. I, I, I am looking forward to that, and I think if Nick Foles can get around that and have a good performance, Chicago gonna give him free steak dinners for the rest of the year.
1: Finish your thoughts, Sid. Because we lost, you. <laughs> we lost you there for a little bit.
0: Oh, that was just saying, I'm, I'm looking forward to when um, I mean, we reconvene on th- uh, on Friday, uh, giving our our uh, Cisco and Ebert review of the Bears Rams uh, Monday Night game, of course. You're listening to this. the The final results are already in, so that's going to be entertaining. And of course, we'll preview Bears, Saints, and it looks like it's going to be another fun, uh, another fun field weekend of college football action as well. And of course, we'll have a new champion in baseball. I think it's going to be the Dodgers, and Dave Roberts will finally have the monkey off his back by finally giving that World Series title to that organization down in Southern California.
2: What happens if we don't? Though, see, I, I like to, I like to look at things like that. What happens if the Dodgers don't deliver this World Series? I mean, all that money. Do you think it's going to be some uh, broken hearts and uh,
0: pink slip giving? <laughs> uh, it will be some broken hearts. Will it be pink slips? Uh, I don't know. But I know Dave Roberts, should that happen, uh, the pressure is going to be turned up a little bit more. You thought it was a couple years ago when they lost to the Houston Astros in Game 7 on their own home turf. Uh, that it would have done it, but apparently it didn't. Now, uh, with you being in control of this series, if, it, if they don't finish it off, it, uh, uh, that that season's gonna be just a little bit hotter, way hotter.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would not I would not like mentioning so much for him. I meant like Taylor Jensen you mentioned earlier. A couple of those big name players, you know, maybe be moving in a new direction if they can't pull it off because they're going to have to
0: move some things around to keep Mr. Uh, Betts happy. So uh, Yeah, if they don't win the title, I think that you will see some players move. Who, I don't know. It won't be Mookie Betts, I promise you that. So you can see some other pieces of potential being moved.
2: I think it'll be like you mentioned, Kaylee Jansen. Like I think, like you said, it was ironic earlier. I think it will be him first. If they, You know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. a lot of teams will still believe in him and give him a shot, probably even on the north side. So... You know, it's it's, it's interesting to see if they don't pull it off. But I do say, it, like we said when we talked about it, if they don't win game six, it can get real ugly in a game seven against Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, I I think think the Dodgers will end up winning. I think those questions, I think all that said, everyone's saying NLA will be fine and no one will be freaking out. I think think they will win tomorrow night. I, I think they will. I think they will find a way to win it. Now that they're they're kind of like right there on the on the cusp, and I think they want to kind of break out, and they're trying to get that money off their monkey off their back. So I think they'll they'll I think they'll do it. I I think they can do it. I think they can do it tomorrow night. All right, and for me, what I'm looking forward to uh, oh, Crash Patrick Cantley. This I think that's his ninth PGA. Uh, tour victory, you know, actually held off a pretty good contention there in the Zolo Championship. That's sort of like a wraparound season that they do in the PGA. So a nice win for him, you know, coming back, you know, holding off guys like John Rahm and Justin Thomas and guys like that. So that was a nice win for him. I'm looking forward, I can't wait till we talk again Friday, guys, because there's some really good matchups in football and also both college and pro. So I can't wait to talk about that. Um,
2: And also we'll, we'll see.
1: We'll see. I mean, this will be interesting. This will be interesting
2: week in sports. Yeah. Also, with uh, with this, with the little talks coming out with this NBA stuff, a lot of this free agent talk, they heating up a little bit. They're starting to simmer a little bit about who may be moving and going different places. I mean, it's not going to be too many big, big blockbuster moves, but it's going to be a couple of significant moves being made. And uh, I don't know if we had a chance to talk about. Uh, Van Gundy them going down to New Orleans and becoming the coach down there. And if Mark Jackson's going to still join him as his assistant, him taking the lead in that team and you got a free agent in uh, Brandon Ingram. And will he stay and get the max contract that they say he's available to get in New Orleans? So with, with Mark Jackson probably going down there with Van Gundy, you know, it's interesting to see who they gonna keep, and will Drew Holiday get moved about it? Because they got a deep, deep team. They just was missing the right kind of a coach, and I think by bringing in Van Gundy and, like I said, Mark Jackson's gonna join them. I think that's Mark Jackson's way of getting back in the league. So that that's that's what that's, um, that's going you know those talks have been. Stimmering all week, and it's free agent time to see who's going to go where and who's going to be the new Bulls center.
1: It's going to be very interesting. finally talking about some NBA again, guys, so I can't wait. On that note, you can follow me at Keenan McGee on Twitter and at Keenan underscore McGee on the Instagram.
2: You can follow me at Lamont Scott on Facebook, Lamont Scott 69 on Instagram, and Lamont Scott 16 on Twitter.
0: You can follow yours truly, uh C-Kid 80 on the Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. That's sidkid 80. That's sidkid 80. You can follow this show, Second City Sports, along with our other programming from War Media by simply searching for War on Anger, which keeps you over to Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And wherever you download your podcast, make sure you search for War on Anger. We are also on iHeartRadio. When you download that app. Please, please, please search for War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. And we also on YouTube at War Media. Once again, W-A-R-R Media. You can watch our lovely faces during this podcast. Not just listen to it, but watch us as well. Voila, here we are.
1: And we got all our previous you know, podcasts. So if you haven't watched or listened to us yet, tell your friends. Get those likes up. All and, right. And yeah, so like, comment, okay.
0: share, and subscribe. Exactly. exactly.
1: Uh,
2: Jay Sowalski for joining us today. Um, check him out also on 670,
1: and also check out his book. Make sure you know you download it, you know, uh, you know, digitally. However, you get it, it's a great read for hockey fans. So for the hockey player in your life, with the holidays coming up, this is a great gift to give. You know them,
2: so. I might want to get with y'all and see how to buy one of those for one of my friends. I'm, uh, after we get off the air, I might want that information. He's a giant Blackhawks fan. He actually yeah. took my first Blackhawks game, so nice.
0: Christmas, nice. Cool. And also, and also, check out Jay Sawatsky, and now official friend of the show, and our other friend of the show, Mister James, James Naval of NBC5 <laughs> Chicago. I'm blanking out there because we got to get a body here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they call co- they co- host the Manhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. If you missed that interview with Stan Bowman that they recorded last week, it's out now. Make sure you go to Manhouse Hockey Chicago. Uh, uh chicago podcast where you download your podcast makes sure you uh download those episodes you'll get great insight and it was a great interview those two gentlemen conducted last week
1: all right for all for the guys stay safe everybody jason we love you good luck on your new venture in up in michigan so for the guys
2: uh, stay warm up there jason
1: oh yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly see the canadian border now so yeah absolutely so for, for the guys on the kitty, guys stay safe uh, and wash your hands, and you know, cause the cases are up. Wear your mask, please. All right, so you know, stay safe out there, you guys. We'll see you Friday.
0: Zoom. Till next time. Hola.